Man, you ever do a book report, right? And say the name of the book was called Clifford, the Big Red Dog. And your book report is the book is about a big red dog named Clifford. Clifford. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, damn, man. It takes up words. You know, you got like a X amount of word requirement for the book report. So you just be like, Uh it is written by uh, Robert Johnson and it is published by Schuster. And it is 86 Uh, pages. (laughs) (laughs) Man, I be... Young, I start stuttering in my book reports. They're going to be like the 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 the, the. <laughs> like <laughs> all right, the thirty six times. <laughs> Man, all right, here we go. I got a few screws loose since the days of my youth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose, and I'm telling you the truth. It's a few screws loose podcast. Welcome back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose. This is our 18th installment. That means we are legal. We can go to the porno section at the video store if they still have those. We can buy cigarettes and guns. So uh, we're doing big things, man. I am P from Charlotte. You can catch me on Instagram at P from Charlotte. And I am Dan, a.k.a. Dan on Drugs. And you can find me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. And you can also find this show across all social media platforms at Screws Loose Pod, as well as on YouTube. YouTube. See? I ain't forget. Last episode in episode 17, Black Sheep, we were joined by Afro Becky for the first part of the show to discuss uh, our relationships, uh, P&I's with our family, and how we kind of distanced ourselves from people. Uh, We're both pretty insulated from society. Uh, And, you know, P talks about how he lives by the no new friends motto. And we also discussed being treated differently because of mental illnesses and most importantly, how we feel like black sheep. So go ahead, check that episode out. Episode 17. This week, what we're going to talk about is passing a mental illness, either the mental illnesses or mental illness traits on to your children and also inheriting them. Because I talked a lot last week about how my entire family is on psychiatric medicine for the most part, aunts, um, uncles, father, grand grandmother. Mental illness runs really deep into my family. And a lot of the things that they experience or have experienced over the years, I kind of picked it up. And, you know, what's interesting. I, I wonder if it's part of its learned behavior versus genetics. What's your thoughts on that, P? You know, I think it's a good mix of learned behavior versus genetics. My disability, if anyone doesn't know or is unfamiliar with the show, is post-traumatic stress disorder and bipolar 2, which is aggravated by the post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, but the thing is, there are lots of things as you grow up and grow older, especially in this day and age of everybody being more aware of mental illness and things like that. 
where some of the problems can probably be attributed to learned behavior and societal conditions, which is, I mean, it is a mental illness in its own right, but it is a distinct difference from an inherited or genetically predisposed uh, mental illness type condition, such as maybe clinical depression or things like that. So we're going to get into that a little bit deeper and express our concerns, our experiences, and maybe our uh, you know, worries, whether it be, you know, children or any other family members that, you know, have alarming things that may pique our interest a little bit and kind of uh, make us worry about them. Like, I don't know, man, I've I seen that before in myself and I'm a crazy motherfucker. <laughs> man, yo, did I, I forgot to ask you this last episode. Has any of your um immediate family members dealt with uh, mental illness or at least expressed that to you? no. Just me. That's what makes me the, quote, black sheep. Go back to episode 17. <laughs> That's what makes me the black sheep here, um, especially being in the little, you know, macho man's man fire department bullshit that they like to put forward um, from early 2000s to roughly 2009, 2010 before was the thing to be honest about mental illness. And you know, I'm not saying the, quote, thing as if it's a derogatory term. Um, you know, I say the thing because in a fire department, it's almost like the unspoken, even to this day with all of the awareness, I've been through a lot of bullshit and lost a lot of things because I decided to speak up. I've pretty much essentially become a martyr in my fire department. And, um, they even told me I was the first person to be terminated for PTSD from my fire department and they made no amends. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like the thing that you don't speak of. And that's a shame because in 2019, you would think that people would be more ready to approach these approach this. And the public face is we're ready to tackle this and really get help. And, you know, thanks to a lot of the awareness the military has brought forth, um, more people are starting to notice what's going on in average daily life. But I still don't think enough attention is given to the mental illness that can be from con uh, societal conditions, uh, environmental factors or learned behavior that many in poverty. And I'm not just talking black people that many in poverty all across the world just consider basic routine daily life. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of things, Dan. And, um, you know, all I can say is in my in my case, I am the only one that I know of that spoke up. Um, I can't speak for others in my family who may not have spoken up, but um, I am the one that seemed to be the martyr for the family and my former career. <laughs> Talking about learned behavior that and, and poverty as well. It's kind of funny uh, when you think about it, man. You know, a lot of the stuff that we and we touched on this in a previous episode, a lot of the stuff that we kind of learned. Let's face it. Our parents. Well, let me speak for myself. I, I'm not going to speak for P on this one. My my parents did not raise me. They, I mean, my mother provided shelter and food, basically, and, and clothes. That was it. Um, it is, as cliche as it is to say, yo, the streets raised me. Man, the streets raised me. And P used to run the streets with me. Yo, we'd be out at 12, 13 years old to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, climbing through little girls' bedrooms, windows, and stuff like that. So I say all that to say, we that's just not something that you do in a sense it is for teenage boys but you have to learn certain things so p going back to our childhood years right 12 13 years old smoking weed right uh hanging out all night why did we think that was okay and where did we get that from 
Well, the thing about me is I knew it wasn't okay. You know, I I, kind of have a personality trait that's like my mom, where you know what you're supposed to do and you know what's right and what's wrong. If you choose to do wrong when you know what's right, you deal with the consequences that come from that. Um, You know, and my mom laid clear expectations. My mom was strict. We, you know, she didn't play. But at the same time, I would almost say that the um, philosophy of learn on your own, if you continue to do something wrong, that has beneficial effects. And I'm happy. I'm happy for them in some aspects of my life, but it also has some negative effects. Um, Whereas, you know, sometimes I think to myself, man, if somebody would have just said, do, do this and do that, I would have done it. Now, I'm not saying that my, my parents did not. Um, express their expectations of my schoolwork and school life. Clearly they did. However, when I decided to do my own thing, there was not much uh, prodding in the right direction to cut it out. And I, and, and, and that was that whole philosophy of, if you mess up, don't call me and you're not getting bailed out and you're going to learn on your own. Um, Now to a certain extent, that's helped me. That's helped me in adulthood realize not to depend on other people to, take care of my personal business. I don't bother expecting people to look out for me. Now, a lot of people who've always gotten their hand held through life, they expect people to always make everything better. But I do know that that has a um, detrimental effect on some. And in my case, um, I guess the negative aspect of it is I take things very hard when I make a mistake because I'm so used to doing things on my own and priding myself on saying, yeah, I did this. I accomplished that, you know. I didn't need mm-hmm. people to cheat or help me or do this and do that. And, and and that was what I think my mom was going for. And I thank her endlessly for that. But at the same time, you know, when I make a mistake or I mess up, um, I take it hard. I mean, I'm just going to give you an example. Before I met my wife, I was in a toxic relationship that I should not have been in in the first place. I've always known better. Uh, I'm just going to be honest. It was with a, a, a married person. And I was at the height of my um, PTSD. I didn't know what was going on with me yet. I was getting ready to lose my career in the fire department. I was just kind of making reckless reckless decisions. And I fooled myself into thinking that this may work. This person is going to leave their husband and be with me. And it didn't happen, of course. And I felt like a jackass. And many people thought when I was angry that I was like sad because of a, a, a potential relationship ended. No, I was actually pissed off at myself for the better part of a year or two because I messed up. And now I don't know if that's the unhealthy extreme of what I just discussed about learning on your own. But I tell you what, when it was happening to me, I damn sure did not feel normal. <laughs> and that set me hey. down a bad spiral, Dan. And like you alluded to on the last show, when, when you saw me kind of do strange things and uh, just unexplainably bad decisions and just do bizarre things. And, and that was a part of it, man. Man, I totally get being a hard on yourself or being angry when you make a mistake. Man, it's hard even for me to accept mistakes that I make. And I mean, let's face it, nobody makes mistakes on purpose and they can be used as a learning experience, basically. Right. But I'm a perfectionist in everything that I do. I try to be as close to perfect as possible, which is why certain things I won't even attempt. Other things, man, I'll spend hours on in on some minute detail that nobody else catches. Like uh, just just for an example, let's say music. Right. Maybe there's one hi-hat that I just can't EQ the right way. It I will spend hours on that one hi-hat and that's that's really insignificant in in the mix when you have all kinds of other instruments, right? 
And then it'll turn into, man, fuck this song. I fucking hate this shit, man. Scrap this whole whole song. Man, same same thing with photography. Same thing with podcasting, even. Yo, you remember the first episode we, re- we recorded? And I was like, damn, I forgot to uh, check my meters before I hit record. And I was recording way too hot and picking up way too much of my room. And it, I was like, I was ready to scrap the whole thing, man. I was, I was like, man, fuck, man. So I, I get what you're saying. I can't accept mistakes either. I, I get really angry and I tend to lash out when I make a mistake. And like you said, as far as getting uh messing with a married woman, like you put yourself in that position. But at some point you have an expectation that things are going to go like this. Things are going to work this way and they don't. And then what you going to do? Yeah, I don't like falling for a trick. And I'm not trying to bad talk nobody, but at the same time, like, you know, because I felt like I felt and I felt like a fool. And when I feel like a fool, like that's the one thing that kind of makes me fall apart, like with failure. Right. I don't have a lot of failure, but the minimal amounts of failure that I have really hit hard. I'm going to give an example. When I used to go to my therapist, my therapist every month, I told her that I felt like I failed at everything I do. And she named all my accomplishments. You know, I was on the lieutenant's list, getting ready to get promoted. I got into the fire department, beat out tens of thousands of others. I passed the physical exam. I got through the whole process. I'm getting ready to get promoted, passed the test, got awards from the fire chief and all that stuff. Right. Um, You know, and then I end up losing it. I got fired. So that was a failure, a catastrophic failure. I thought this stupid, you know, and I kind of want to say that the undiagnosed mental illness at the time had a part in me and being reckless with that situation. I got myself in with that married person and being more gullible than I would have because I I pride myself on knowing intentions of other people before they reveal them by signs. And I just ignored all of them. And I felt like a jackass. And and, and I'm just I'm just going to be blunt and honest right now because I don't give a shit. You're like, I'm sitting here making myself look like a jackass, keep on initiating communications and all this, saying dumb stuff. And you just feel like, man, you think back to those days. And I'm like, I was a real, real biatch. All because I could not tolerate the (laughs) fact that I failed. And it's sort of like, Dan, when we talk about not having control, it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily you want to control someone else. But it's the fact that you can't control a situation that something happened to you in. And you feel as though unless you can control the way it it, it finishes up, you kind of go into desperation mode. And that's what happened. And, and you know, and, and I think the mental illness had a lot to play in that because I, I can't fathom ever acting like that ever again. But um, yeah, man. And I, and I guess that kind of goes back to the original conversation and question you asked me about learning on your own. It has its benefits. But at the same time, you have that expectation of self-perfection. And when you fail, it can really really cause a meltdown into who you thought you were man let me ask you this too i i remember a lot of the things that that were going on during that time i'm sure i'm not privy to the entire situation probably most of it but (laughs) as far as you initiating communication afterwards right what was your expected result like because i know you don't do things without thinking them through and having some sort of resolution in mind you know, honestly, I have no idea because I knew realistically it was not going to happen. And the way that the tone that I took, it was definitely not going to happen because I wasn't exactly the most respectful or the most uh, appealing 
It was just a, I guess everyone has a, 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 a bad side to themselves, right? That's not exactly what you want the public to see, whether it be you have a bad temper or whether it be if you take something hard. That's the point. Everyone has certain things that they prefer to conceal. Well, when you're in those situations, and mind you, too, I was on that bullshit cocktail of medications that the fire department pushed me on. All of this stuff hit within two weeks of each other. Um, mm-hmm. and it, and I, and I, I don't want to blame the medicine, but it was a lot of uncharacteristic things I was saying and doing. I had no cut cards. I had no inhibitions. I made, I was saying anything. Um, and I don't know what my expectations were because the expectations weren't to make everything right. I, I'm going to take a stab at this. I guess what I, I guess I, I can honestly pro well, let me summarize this. Hold on. I'm trying to find the best way to put this. I can only assume that my intentions were to regain control of the situation and have things in on a term that I considered more agreeable than just ceasing communication and dropping it off because I don't like things to just be left incomplete. And I guess I was looking for mainly a closing of that situation that I had mm-hmm. more of a say so or part or role in actively. And that didn't happen. So it always, it right. felt for months and months and months and months and months, like something lingering out there. And then couple that with all the medications, losing my fire department career, being by myself. It, it, man, I was felt like I was hit with a ton of bricks and I, I'm like, I, look, I ain't calling nobody else a bitch, but my expectations for myself was I was acting like a straight up bitch. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been in situations like that, but I have more expectations for myself. And um, I guess that's that toxic learn on your own type thing, you know? And the other thing that I deeply regret is I was at certain points when things weren't going the way I expected, I, I would say certain disrespectful things that I felt as though I would never, ever, ever in my normal right mind have ever said to anyone. And that also bothers me too, that I allowed myself to be uh, vulgar, um, pretty much just a nasty, mean motherfucker. And Man, what, uh, give us some examples of, I mean, you don't have to be specific. Just, like, I don't know. Just verbatim. saying just stuff like, Oh, you, 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 you done with me, huh? You want to go back to where you swore you want to, you swear you weren't unhappy and you know, this and that, you know, you don't want that family and it's just stuff like that. And it was just like, what the hell is wrong with me? You know, I would never say or even consider thinking like that in my right mind. But, right. you know, sometimes, man, when you're in a bad situation, couple that with really an, a bad understanding of any mental issues you got going on to losing your fire department career, losing your identity, losing who you were, having to take a bunch of medications at max doses, messing with your brain. You just really unstable. It was just a bad mix of a lot of unfortunate circumstances all rolled into one. It's funny that you mentioned um, being alone and also doing a lot of things as things were falling apart, looking for closure. Look, man, I've been in a few situations myself where I've been with somebody and I mean, it wasn't as extreme as yours as far as them being a married person or having a family. But yo, man, when we're going to lose something that we're so used to having, sometimes desperation can lead. It it, it comes off as aggression or hostility, man. So I, I totally get that, man, because I, yo, I've been angry that I was going to lose what I was used to having, whether it be a person or a place um, like a place to live. And then you start doing weird shit to try to keep things the same because we're very change averse. So we will go to great lengths just to make sure shit stays the same routine. We're very routine people. Once these routines are interrupted, 
yo, you you can be dealing with somebody that is very hostile, very agitated, very aggressive, um, because I don't know about you, P, but my emotions go from regular mad like that's my normal regular mad to extremely mad when my routine is interrupted or I'm in a desperate situation where I'm about to lose something that I'm so used to having. Now, going into being alone, right? Man, I often say that I enjoy my own company. That's because I'm not good with people. I'm socially unacceptable. And shout out to the Socially Unacceptable podcast, too. But, yo, that describes me best. I don't know how to interact with people. I get really weird. Kind of like P says, he often talks about brains and eyeballs to completely uh, complete strangers. Yo, I'm kind of weird, too, man. Like, I people find me very odd. I can only fake it for so long. I can fake it for about 10 minutes or so. And then after that, it's like, yo, all right, I, I, I got to get away from this person because they still talking. Why the fuck is you still talking? Man, get away from me. I don't, I don't have anything left to say to you. I don't do small talk and stuff. So one of my biggest fears, Pete, before I toss it back to you is being alone, not necessarily being by myself, but being alone. I don't want to look up years later because I have very few close relationships with people. I don't want to look up years later and be on my deathbed and nobody be there. Who's going to care? Like, and I often think about that. Who's going to care when you die? My mother? That That's that's about it. So like, yeah, man. So do you have a problem with being alone? Is that kind of what you were getting? Hey, at? man, I'll I'll be there. Don't worry. But not, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> you'll be, be on, alone you'll be on your meant- deathbed. Yeah, we'll probably be next, right next to each other. <laughs> Roommates. Cussing each other out because your ass want to watch some bullshit on TV. And I'm like, man, ain't nobody trying to watch that. <laughs> but now, my, see, my alone isn't the same. I come from a giant family. I'm related to pretty much every goddamn person in Alexandria, Virginia. So I don't have a problem with being alone. What I meant by being alone was I worked in the fire department. I worked in the, we call it the big house, the busiest firehouse. Well, not the busiest, the biggest fire station in the county outside of maybe station one. We had every piece of equipment. We had 14 to 17 members on our shift. I was always surrounded by someone Um, at home. I had my kids. I was always with the kids. So there was a period when I ended up being in an apartment all by myself. Um, You know, I had my kids most of the time because they've been with me most of their lives. But I lost the career in the fire department. They forced me on leave. So I was by myself at home. I was not surrounded by coworkers, um, healthy distractions such as the job. Uh, You know, I was on those stupid medications they forced me on. And everything around me that I was accustomed to was crumbling. And there was no one that you can really talk to that can relate to that situation. And that was what I meant by alone. So I really didn't care. I mean, I, I was peaceful. I never said, oh, man, I wish I had someone around here. I mean, that didn't bother me one bit. But the thing was, when you start doing weird things and you you, you start to engage in weird practices and weird routines that aren't exactly uh, beneficial to your mental health, that's when it becomes a problem. And it becomes normalized when you have nothing but time on your hands and dysfunction and mental illness you don't understand that you have yet, catastrophic loss in your life whether it be uh, friends or familiar situation or career. And all of that stuff happened at one time, like literally 2010 was my catastrophe year. And when I see people on social media flaunt how successful they are because they have a job and a career and they make good money and everything's been gone perfect for them. I often wonder what are they going to do when that catastrophe hits? Cause I think frankly, a majority of us will have that life catastrophic 
catastrophically life-changing event at some point. And if you're not ready for it, how are you going to regroup from that? And 2010 was my year. So that that's kind of what I meant about alone, meaning the things that used to be there were not there anymore. And I was left mm-hmm. to my own devices and kind of really had no checks and balances on what was normal, what wasn't. And also, you know, just that peer group of being able to know what's going on with my career. I pretty much had no clue. Man, something else I'm a I'm a throw in here too. After hearing you say it, talking about no one could relate. Who do who do you have to talk to? No one can relate. I personally, I I have a hard time doing the same thing. Like I don't want to talk to anybody about my problems who can't relate to my problems. And it's not to say I don't value people's insight because sometimes you get some of the best information from people who so to think outside the box, so to speak, because they're not dealing with what you're dealing with. But I have a hard time talking to people who I believe are not going to relate to what I'm saying. So, for instance, uh, being a person of color, being a person who is mentally ill, I'm not going to want to talk to somebody who's not a person of color, who is not mentally ill about the things that I'm going through. And that's why I think it's really important to find therapists and um, mental mental health care workers that are people of color, man, because at the bare minimum, they can relate to being a person of color because let's face it, our culture is different than any other culture. And sometimes I have a problem with some of the differences because of where we place our priorities and um, things like that. But Man, do you have the same problem as far as talking to or wanting to talk to someone who can't relate to you? No. I mean, see, here's the diff. Here's the thing. There's one thing to have people be able to rate, relate to you. But there's another thing, too, that people may. And this is a very dangerous thing that a lot of people aren't aware of. There's also toxic advice. Toxic advice are things like if you're going through something, you know, uh a depressive state, a manic state, and people say, "Oh, you'll be okay," or just keep on moving forward. It'll it'll all work itself out, or you know, pretty I'll much pray yes for you. you. You know, false false positives. Uh, just pray and it'll be okay. Or you're making too much of this; it'll blow over. That's not that sounds positive, but it's actually de- negative. You know, it's de- it is destructive. Like when people would say. Oh, but, you know, it could always be worse. And then I remember people would say that all the time to me. And I would say, well, of course, I can, you know, it can be worse for the homeless man with AIDS. He could be dead. Right. And um, so I don't have a problem with that, per se. And I, I do kind of want to offer a rebuttal to what you said about feeling more comfortable talking to people of color. I'm going to rebut uh-huh. that almost based off of the point you just said about people being able to think outside of the box because just because someone is a person of color and I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm not, if I offend anyone, but no, you're not. uh, Well, no, actually, well, I'm not actually, you're right, Dan. Um, (laughs) I've had a lot of run-ins with these new school, so-called woke people, especially at my children's school, you know, uh, brothers that wear these bow ties or they wear these fucking beads and they think they got all the answers. They're just a bunch of college boys who never lived in the hood, never lived the way we came up, never came up, doing any of the things we did, went to college, but suddenly because they're black and they got dreads, they're suddenly so woke and know all the answers to black uh, excellence. So they sit here and spew all this bullshit that's really just not beneficial to the people. You're telling our young people, be yourself, 
And that's all that matters. Well, we all know in a practical, real world, you can't do that. You got to make some compromises to who you are. So if you get these, you know, psychologists, psychologists, therapists who uh, may be of color, they may on the surface seem as though they can understand your plight better. But then you also run into that same situation where, example, you go to the grocery store. The black person that's waiting on, you know, that's that's checking you out. They say, hey, how are you doing, ma'am? Have you have a nice day to the white woman in front of you. And then when they get to you, they say, hey, what's up, homie? Man, what you up to? Man, I can't wait to get out of here. As if they don't owe you that same level of respect because they're black, too. The same thing can happen if you go to a black doctor or black therapist. And I'm not advocating against black doctors or therapists. What I'm saying is you may end up getting a different quality of care because they feel as though you black. You should understand or they'll say, man, come on, man, you coming in here complaining about this, man. That's white people problems. You you know, you can't be complaining and worried about this. You black. Nobody's going to care. And while that may be true overall, that people don't really care. You don't want to hear that from your therapist who's supposed to be trying to help you get better and more well adjusted. Because the last thing you need is to feel some kind of guilt about who you are and the severity of your illness being even more taboo based on who you are. Man, a couple of things. I If I walked into a therapist's office and they said, yo, what's up, homie? Yeah, that, <laughs> that that's where our session ends. I mean, when when I when I'm thinking of people of color, I'm thinking of people who are well trained in their fields, people who know not to um to treat you any differently because of the color you are. But more or less, they can empathize with some of your problems because let's let's face it at when you look at the the totality of I hate using words like totality. That that was just a word I said to try to think of something. <laughs> Man, when you look at all all people of color, I'm pretty sure we all share at least some some of the same plights uh maybe to varying degrees but i i think it's safe to say we all share some of the same plights know. uh whether it be know. racism i don't know man <laughs> i'm sorry geez. to interrupt being in charlotte dealing with these so-called woke motherfuckers down here to think they shit don't stink because they have a frat boy or a sorority girl they really do think they above certain things man and and, and they're not above racism a lot, but, but, above. But, but but a lot of these so-called educated folk think they are they think people care that they're educated and they think that gives them a pass. And they even look down on other black folk that's not educated. I'm man. I'm telling you, I've seen it and it is astounding to me. Maybe not New Orleans, but in Charlotte. Oh, my God. It is. It is at epidemic levels, man. I'm trying to tell you. I mean, interrupt seen, you, but but I I've strongly I ha- I've had a lot of run ins at my son's school with these so-called educated brothers and sisters who think this shit don't stink. And you know, women, black women or black men who go to college in the sorority or in the frat and they look down on other black people. I even hear them. I ain't like them, you know, or I ain't going out there with all them low class niggas. They say stuff like that. I've heard it myself. Yeah. See, but what I want to do is to just just for the sake of conversation, separate the woke people from licensed therapists who they're trained to do what they do and they do their job well. So as far as the woke people, yeah, there's there's a, a segment of black America who went off to college. They didn't know they were black until they got to college. I saw this Twitter post that summed them up pretty well, like the people you're talking about at your son's school. 
um, they didn't know they were black until they got to college. Then they got their dreads and they wear little um, T-shirts with sayings on them that, you know, these hands. And it's like they all want to be <laughs> they all want to work for either complex or the root. But, man, they they overdo their blackness because they just found out that they were black in college. But no, I'm I'm talking about somebody, a, a professional and it's not hard, just like we can identify racism when we see it. It's not hard for me to identify a professional who takes their job seriously to someone who's just kind of fucking off at, at their job. So there's this one there's this one um, black therapist down here in New Orleans who, man, if she took if she took um, insurance, man, I'd be going to her because. Yo, I've listened to some of her. Um, she does uh, what's it called? Public access TV when you're on like uh those little shows and shit. And man, she she knows what the fuck she's talking about, and she can relate to the black experience. She came from where we came from, as far as the bottom. And yo, she was fortunate enough to make it up out of there. But yeah, man, I I, I would much prefer a person of color as my therapist, of as someone who I share my experiences with, and they can even if they can't directly relate like i said they can relate to being a person of color let's see i I, I definitely agree with the ones that come from the bottom like us but the the fact is that's few and far between you know and you know that's the thing that bothers me a lot of these younger people and mind you i'm not speaking for everyone because my my you know uh my stepson had a very good therapist older woman black woman from Buffalo and you know Buffalo is hood and she knows she told him straight up so we really really enjoyed her but you do have some who have been entitled their whole life college students expected to go to college daddy's little girl whatever you want to say never went to a school with in a poverty stricken area never had to get bust never had to you know just never ever been in any sort of poverty situation that grow up thinking that their uh, education will save them and give them some sort of legitimacy. And sadly, some people take that into their professional lives and hold a disdain towards other black people because they feel as though I made it. Why can't you? Y'all are just lazy. And I've run into them, too. I mean, I'm not speaking of everyone. I mean, there's always a caveat. I'm not. I'm sorry, not a caveat. There's always a difference um, amongst people. I'm not painting a broad brush here. I guess what me and Dan are doing is just kind of speaking about the differences that you may come in contact with. And hell, I mean... You know what, Dan? Shit. That's just another challenge that us as black folk got to deal with in trying to get help. Yeah, man. I, I've yet to find like like I said, other other than the one chick that I just mentioned, the one woman that I just mentioned, um, black female therapist. Man, I've yet to find any others down here. I mean, majority of them, the psychiatrist are they're Asian, Indian, um, the therapist, most of them are white and Indian. Now we have licensed, um, what do you call them? LC, licensed SW, uh, social workers. Oh, okay. Now a lot of them are, are black and you know, I, I'm not, I'm still not exactly sure what it is they do as far as they report I mean, your ass to CPS. That's what they do. I had a bad <laughs> run in with them. <laughs> like, yeah. Hey, man, we're going to report you as a CPS. Nigga, I ain't got no kids. <laughs> so oh, we still going to report you. <laughs> <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you. What's up? What's up? What's up? It's your boy, CEO Hayes in the building, host of the Awakened Soul podcast, a podcast that discusses movies, music, TV, pop culture, politics and social issues. But more importantly than all that, 
we discuss how it affects and reflects our society and our culture. So if you're looking for a podcast that's for the culture, but yet if you're looking for a podcast that's of the culture, check out The Awakened Soul, a member of the Breaks Media Podcast Network. Peace. Anyway, to get back on track to the um to to the main topic of the show, right? Like I said, my shit, a lot of it's genetics. Some of it's probably learned behavior. Are you fearful that either? So I guess we kind of established that your shit is not genetic since, well, you don't know of any family members who've come to you and said, yo, I've experienced this, this and this or these um problems. So are you fearful that in watching you that your children will develop some some of the symptoms of your mental illness and and think it's regular because they see you do things that are because of your mental illness so it's their learned behavior and next thing you know like say someone who's OCD who washes their hands you know 150 times a day and their children are watching them do this so their children pick up the habit um are you afraid of that no, I'm not, because I feel like some of the things that I do, I think they would benefit from. I'm hypervigilant when it comes to trusting people when trying to avoid situations that could potentially get you killed, um, because that was my training. Now, to people outside, they think, oh, there he goes again, Mr. Safety, Mr. Safety. But then, you know, like I remind them, well, everyone thought that nothing would happen until they called me 911 when they got killed. You know, their family called them when they got killed or seriously in- injured. So I kind of wish that more people around me would be more vigilant and exercise more of the precautions that I do take, because then that causes a whole other set of problems where you may say, hey, don't do this or don't do that. And then you end up getting in some kind of argument or just people look at you thinking that you're just barking orders. But there's always a reason. So, you know, I don't have a fear of anything being inherited. Now, granted, if they join the fire department or something, that'd be different, which I wholly will never, ever, ever recommend any of my children do. Um, but I don't have that fear. Um, I guess the only fear that I have of inheriting is my um, strong will, I guess, um, through high school. I, I would often say if they offered me $5,000 to just go to class, I would say, fuck you, keep your money. Um, <laughs> they're kind of rubbed off on my daughter. She's similar in that respect when it comes to school, too. She graduated, got her high school diploma now and all. But um, I guess that's the only thing, my strong headedness. But that's not really uh, I can't consider that a mental disability. I would just kind of call that a, a personality trait that I kind of would rather not pass along. How about your uh, your temper and how you react when um, when you're what's the word I'm looking for? When you're challenged, like when your next door neighbor challenged you and you threw the tennis ball <laughs> well, I mean, at him. I got a temper, but at the same time, it's, it's well controlled. I learned, well, look, running joke, fire department. I learned how to manage my temper and patience in the fire department when I had people I'd never met, you know, screaming at me, hollering at me in my face. I had to call people, sir, who I'd never met in my life. Um, early on, I was only 20 years old. That bothered me. I had a bad attitude. I had a bad temper. But I learned over the years that nobody gives a shit about your temper. And the thing that I learned was it's best to wait. What do they say? Live to fight another day. I learned that mm-hmm. and I apply that. So I am actually an extremely patient person when it comes to avoiding confrontation and conflict. Because I'm not going to say that there's something wrong with the way me and you are, Dan, in terms of uh, we're ready to throw down the drop of a hat. I will say this, though, exercising patience. And I've learned over the years when they would say it takes a bigger man to 
walk away. I thought that was some bitch ass shit. But as a grown up, I realized, man, it is so much harder to just walk away. I pick my battles and it's actually been beneficial to me um, with not getting angry and getting in trouble. Because when I get to that point, like, for example, when I threw the ball at my neighbor's kid, that was because he was 16 and he physically assaulted my son and hit him and lied to me in my face and threw the tennis ball at my son's face. So I grabbed the tennis ball and when I saw him, I was giving it back to him and he said some smart mouth stuff and said something like, fuck you, old man. And I threw it at him. That was what happened. Um, I think I exercise a lot of restraint in that situation. Um, 15 now, years ago, my- maybe not. But now, you know, I have a temper, but it's been it's well controlled and well managed, I would say. And I have a very long patience before I fly off the handle. See, now my I guess my only other question would be. I mean, you know way more about kids than I do. Are I they know. able? I don't know. You motherfuckers <laughs> crazy, man. You can't. <laughs> man, would they be able to differentiate or either correlate uh, your actions to being uh, controlled when when you do fly off the handle? Yeah, because I tell them. I give ample warnings. I say, y'all think I'm be- I keep being nice to y'all or y'all think I'm not noticing. I'm trying to tell y'all, please start doing this before I get mad. I, I give a lot of warnings because, you know, and, and there are things that I regret growing up when I when my daughter was real little when, you know, I was only 18 and I was cutthroat. I was zero tolerance. You know, I was just going through the fire department. It was zero tolerance in that, too. So I was ready to punish on any infraction. I was hyper strict. Um, I had to be in control of everything. I've learned to loosen up over the last 10 years is while it's less stressful. Um, the problem can be that then it kindness can be perceived as weakness. And when mm-hmm. you give but so many warnings, you get pissed off. And I, I got a thing. And I remember I, I used to tell you this about your grandma, Dan, when um, she'll ask me to off, she'll offer me food once and I'll say no. And she'll offer me twice and I'll say, oh, no, thanks. But the third time your ass better not say no. Right. So so it's like, yeah. you know, I operate on that rule of three. Like, I'm gonna give you one warning. You lucky if I give you two. But if it comes to a third and I've been nice, then I get angry. And to me, that's like a slap in the face. And but I make sure that it's clear before we get to that point that I'm like, look, I've been warning you or look, I've been trying to give you an opportunity. You, you're not allowing me to work with you here. Come on. And then when I get mad, I'm like, oh, now I'm now I'm the crazy guy. Right, man. Look, look, I um. I have a hard time with the whole warning system as an adult, right? Like, and I think you've even mentioned this before. As far as be, being an adult, I should not have to tell you what's exactly. acceptable and what's not. Exactly. Man, I don't fucking warn adults, man. I, I have a huge, I guess the, the only warning you'll get is your first and only. And it's, it's more in lines with, I better leave this dude alone right now. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I, I, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm talking a lot this episode. I know you can tell this is something I'm really into. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry, but I agree 100%. Now, the warnings I was talking to with the children, my children and teenagers and stuff. But when it comes to adults, I tell my wife, hun, you got to handle this because I'm sorry. I do not have any patience for telling adults basic shit like when we in a goddamn movie theater, turn your stupid ass phone off. You see what I'm saying? Like stuff that back in the day used to be just pop, just common decorum and respect amongst uh, amongst adults. You got to actually tell grownups now. And I'm not in the business yeah. of telling a grownup what to do. So, yeah, I, I agree with that 100 percent. Man, I, I find it extremely hard to, like, like you said, warn someone or even tell them what to do. It's like, man, 
it, part of the problem, I want to say this is just my opinion, is too many adults trying to be young. And when I say that, I mean, yo, back in the day and I mean, it may not be a fair comparison because times have changed. But back in the day, yo, by the age of like 23, 24, you were married, had kids and were going to work and coming home. man. you know what I'm saying? But you didn't act like you were 16 when you were 23, 24. That was just totally unacceptable. Now, of course, society's rules change. But at the same time, I think it's inappropriate for people that are 30 plus years old to still act like they're 21, 22 years old. Man, that's to me, that's inappropriate. So that's why I have an even harder time warning people or, or telling them what they're doing is inappropriate because you should know by now. I agree. And, some, and even though times change, that don't always mean times change for the better. There are lots of things back in the day that I think we should have stayed with. Things that people across the world stay with. Like in America, we have this thing I call kid worship. We treat children as if they are the gods of the world where you can't correct them. You can't tell them anything or else you're going to harm their self-expression. They used to tell us growing up needs versus wants. They used to teach us about uh, being careful on the Internet, this and that. Now it's like, oh, let kids have social media. Don't take your kids video games away. Let them dress the way they want. Let them do these things and let them express themselves to the point where now the kids run the show. And that's not acceptable. And we wonder why our children grow up 18 unprepared for life because no one's ever told them tough titty, you get an F because you didn't do your work. You know what I mean? And I know that's something that teachers deal with a lot. Um, the, the, the actual uh, restraint that they must show in terms of discipline because they're not frankly allowed to do the, the, to do the things that they used to be able to do when we were children, like move your desks to the front of the classroom. They're stressed to do this positive reinforcement bullshit where every kid is special. And frankly, you're not. You got to meet people where they're at. Because you're only harming these kids into thinking, oh, for a 17, for 13 years, I've been taught that I'm the best in school. I've been taught that mm-hmm. I'm special and I'm as good as everyone else. Now I'm 18 and I apply for a job and the guy told me, go fuck yourself. I thought I was special. <laughs> What's wrong here? And they're ill-equipped. And that's why they end up being depressed, going to drugs and having issues. Yeah, man. And I, I don't know why 30 plus year old people want to act like early 20 college age kids man it's just yeah no no excuse that and then even using slang and then dressing like the kids we we grew up during the time where it was baggy clothes shit hanging off your ass and man they they tried to make that bullshit that they they just completely fucking lied and said um well you know sagging your pants is a way to tell somebody you're available to fucking jail Bullshit. Bullshit. The reason why now sagging your pants did come from prison, but it's because they gave prisoners clothes that were way too big. They're not fucking measuring your waist. Okay, you're 34, you're 38. No, you just get whatever's available. So a lot of the times I've even experienced that in the juvenile um, in the juvenile joint where I'd either have on some tight nut hugging ass sweats like, come on, man, I can't fit these. Or some shit that's falling off your ass because so I, I don't know who came up with that whole shit. And I'm pretty sure they sat around. Probably and, the cops. And I, I don't think it was the cops. I think it was like like the Al Sharptons and the Jesse Jacksons. Like, you know, we got to we got to find some way to tell these kids that they shouldn't have their clothes hanging off their ass. Let's let's make it about let's make them feel gay for doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, nah, man, it's because it. 
it is definitely from prison, but it's because the clothes that you get in prison don't fucking fit and nobody cares. No, I mean, nor should they, but still like they, yeah, but that's the era we came from is baggy clothes, shit hanging off your ass, Tim's in the summertime and shit like that. Right. So the new trend I I noticed, you know, the past maybe 10 years is that skin tight jeans, dreads and little teeny shirts and shit. Right. (laughs) Yo, I don't fat having the little round fucking spare tire belly. I'm like, damn, is it cool <laughs> to have a fat spare tire belly and back fat now? <laughs> I guess. But yo, as much as I joke about this shit, I'm pretty sure the people before us were, were joning on us. Like the people from the 70s wearing fucking velvet suits and shit were like, look at these niggas wearing these big ass clothes. But you know what, though? I want to touch on real quick. Why well, I said the cops made it up. I remember in Dare. We had Officer Hayes and Deputy Lumpkin. And I think Officer Hayes ended up getting in some trouble um, at some point. He was the one that drove the BMW, the the Mercedes Benz that they confiscated from some drug dealer. But anyway, Mm -hmm. they used to tell us going to middle school about gangs. So they said Crips. You know what Crips stand for? Crips stands for Cowards Running Packs. And I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, man, that ain't what it stand for. And I'm only like in fifth grade, right? And we don't do Bloods and Crips back home in D.C. We just, we didn't do that stuff back then. I don't know what these youngins do now, but we didn't do that back then. But they'll just say stuff to try to make kids think, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not cool. So that's why I was thinking like, they probably just made up the whole, you know, where sagging came from, right? To try to scare kids and make up some bullshit. Cause man, they be saying anything. And ultimately- yeah. I must consider D.A.R.E. as an abject failure because we were smoking weed within a year and a half after them D.A.R.E. motherfuckers came to talk to us in fifth grade. <laughs> yeah, man, you ain't lying, man. But I, I guess the thing that I'm getting at is, you know, the, the older heads would make fun of us for wearing in the early 90s baggy clothes, pants falling off your ass. Um, Like, man, look, look at these guys. Double uh, XL T-shirts. And I look at the kids now or this new generation now with their skin tight jeans with their uh, little teeny baby t-shirts. Yeah. I clown them. I, I find it funny, but I'm not going to knock them because I mean, why should I? But I'm also not going to dress like them. I'm, yeah. I know grown ass men, 40, 40 years old. That's wearing exactly whatever the end thing is with these little 18, 19, yeah. 20 year olds, man. And I find that shit highly questionable, man. Like if you feel like you have to dress, like a, a generation you're not a part of it, it, it's not keeping up with fashion it's it's what the fuck is wrong with you man and them you kids know be saying? joning on them they be like look at this dude like think about this <laughs> my uncles right they was like th- in their mid-30s right in the 90s and we was listening to stuff some of them was even in their late 20s can you imagine my uncles listening to groovers and junkyard that we was listening to and they was only like 33 34 can you imagine them listening to the same music we listen to? No way. So that's why I'm yeah. thinking like, okay, I'm, we're almost 40. We got 40-year-olds that dress in tight-ass shit. I mean, I, I don't understand why someone our age knows the rappers' names and the lyrics of the people making songs these days. You can play a whole record of these people, and I'm like, who the fuck is this? I have no desire or interest to know anything about that. And that's not something that used to happen in past generations, man. Like... Like the the quote old heads, which was like thirty something, they weren't listening to and dressing like we were. Nah, they they damn sure wasn't, man. Like they 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 stayed with their own shit, man. And then you end up with the uh, <laughs> you end up with the I call it the uncle at the cookout outfits is what the they sandals. they ended up sandals, them motherfucking sandals. shorts, <laughs> <laughs> them, them thick ass brown sandals. Like damn, uh-huh. man, where y'all get them fat ass sandals well, from? 
Motherfucking feet be ashy as shit. Like they've been <laughs> kicking dust, man. <laughs> man, Bama's got old like hats and shit and a button up shirt that's halfway buttoned up and tucked into the khaki shorts. And they think they doing it, man. Think they doing but, it, boy. Them motherfucking ashy ass sandals, <laughs> skin color sandals. Them don't look like they done marched through the desert for 40 years. <laughs> Where you get them Israelite sandals from? Man, <laughs> niggas got the Jesus jump man, John. <laughs> like, damn, John got a yo. picture of Obama jumping over some water. <laughs> man, man, niggas got the walk on water for us, John. Like, goddamn, man. Was, man, but yeah, Joe. So, I, man, I don't get it, man. And I really, I honestly, I don't even know where I was going with that. I, I had, I had a train of thought as far as talking about fashion and and not, not looking like none of these little 15 year olds yeah man I, I and see but that's something else too that we did our entire lives man shy of dressing like we're from the area dc uh which was consisted of like baggy jeans and ddtp or rugged wear shirts man Tef. yeah i like, like the, Tef the best the local joints man but aside from that man we never really tried to fit in man we never tried to do the shit and whenever people like were on some kind of wave or they they felt like something was popular, we would stay away from it, man. Rookie coats, the rookie coats, the avias, the Air Force Ones with the uh with the color Nike sign that you could switch out, like cheerleading shoes. You had the Jordans, uh-huh. the phone posits. Man, we ain't never wear none of that shit. We wore yeah, I had some phone posits. Man, phone posits was tight, man. But yeah, for I mean for the most part though, and you remember when everyone started listening to like Bad Boy and and like all that commercialized rap and we was like man fuck that man we we listen to wu-tang man wu-tang well the uh, thing RZA. was i started off listening to bad boy biggie and mace but then once them bama start tripping like acting all weird and stuff colorful and shiny stuff, and after biggie died i was like man fuck this that's some that's when i really went back to wu-tang hard i mean i always like wu-tang nas mob deep but man we went in mm. with wu we we love them bamas hell yeah man i see, i still like them man they they you know they're the most influential rap group and turn the joint into a music conversation, but they're the most influential rap group in history. Hell yeah. Like they're worth over the Wu Tang and its umbrellas worth like well over a billion dollars as far as albums and merchandise sold, man. They got a movie like, just coming that out logo. too. Not not the documentary that just came out, but like a movie movie. Yeah, on Hulu. That joint will be out in uh September, man. To get back on topic, right, and to kind of wrap things up, right? I'd be fucking horrified if I had children that i had custody of living under my roof in the same house as me man because honestly i do some really odd shit really weird shit that i I wouldn't want anyone to to learn and think that it's normal so for instance i i talk about this often i can't shit in public right i have to shit at home regardless i will go home from work i will leave wherever i'm at if i have to go shit and sometimes it's been to the point where i'm having this conversation in my head is Today, the day that I shit on myself trying to get home to take a shit. Right. So I need to take a shower after I take a shit. That's a must because I'm sorry for being graphic here, um, listeners, but I don't believe that taking toilet paper and smearing shit into your ass crack. It speaks a good hygiene, man. So I need to take a shower. Right. So that's that's 100 percent what I do damn near every time. But I don't want someone looking at me saying, "Okay, this is how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to leave wherever you're at to go take a shit and then be like 30 minutes in the bathroom because you got to take a shower too. like, man, I wouldn't want that shit to rub off on anybody, man. So 
and and there's other little things that I do that are are really odd as far as like just man, there, there's so much that I would not want to rub off onto a child and for them to think that this is how it's supposed to be. Like, no, motherfucker, I I'm just kind of off. I'm I'm not right. I'm a I'm a loose screw. <laughs> man, I'ma tell you, I ain't never in all my years of school ever 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 took a shit at school. Ever. Oh hell no! You remember Ever, they used like, to kick in the doors, man. That's exactly. We would kick the doors in on your ass, like, oh, you in there taking a <laughs> shit? Watch this, bam! And then we throw a bunch of wet toilet paper at you. So you know, it was just. I'm, I don't know if my not wanting to shit in public came from things like that, but I'm with you, man. Like I now I've learned like. When I used to take trips to New Orleans, I used to drive to New Orleans. And on them 20-something-hour trips, at some point, you know, you, you might have to go to the bathroom. And that was, like, the first time I remember going to a bathroom publicly. The good thing is it was overnight. Nobody else was in there. But, man, that is, like, an emergency last resort situation type I must be sick type of thing for me to do that yeah. I don't blame you on that man man but see I wouldn't want to teach that to a child though you know what I'm saying because children are, are much more active than us and I mean the motherfucker coming home from school to take a shit or like you know like I <laughs> not to keep, keep talking about shit but yo I, I wouldn't want that shit to rub off on <laughs> anybody as far as my 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 preferences or whatever man yeah. this is like you're talking about shit today and you kept talking about dicks that other episode <laughs> yeah you ain't lying man man I'm, I'm surprised that you don't that you don't have a lot of the same uh same thoughts man especially that you know you got 30 fucking kids man i mean look it's just i learned i guess it's more along the lines of picking your battles and you know i one thing about me is i don't a lot of people don't like to do this but i pride myself on introspection i like to look at the things that i do that may not bode well for getting along with people and once again i look running joke fire department i'm trying to tell you anybody that thinks i just say that and thinks i'm just throwing it out there just to brag i, I mean what i say you really learn a lot of skills in that place because you deal with 17 people 24 hour shifts 72 hours a week you're with these people a lot it's a rank organization like the military, a line organization. So you can't just say and do whatever you want without getting fired. You have to follow protocols. You have to be patient. Citizens will complain and you end up getting written up and lose everything. So I learned a lot of my skills that I use in life now. And even also in the, in the education courses I had to take, all the continuing training, the instructor one classes, officer one classes, the business administration, public administration, all those law classes that I had to take, all those instructor classes that I had to take. You learn a lot of little techniques. And um, I'm just going to recommend, man, if anybody has that fear of bringing their, uh, you know, negative qualities to their kids or their family, practice introspection, learn to accept, welcome and appreciate criticism. You know, criticism don't mean people praising you and saying you're right. People telling you you're right all the time are the people that you need to get away from you. You need people that are going to be honest about the things you're doing. And not don't be an asshole, obviously, but constructive criticism is helpful and it can kind of help you understand the things that maybe affect you, but things that you will teach yourself that you can't allow to be acceptable for others. You know, what's acceptable for you may not work for someone else. And it takes a lot of introspection and, and reflection and thinking about the things you do and being aware of your issues that allow you to kind of, okay, say, okay, well, I like things like this, but I can't expect everyone else to, to cooperate or go along with this either. Man, 
yo, shit, that that's actually a good point, man. But I, I've had uh, the luxury of not having to work at a at a fucking fire department with 17 other people, man. But I tell you this, the the office that I was working at, uh, man, it's like 23 people in that office. I that shit's fucking miserable. And there's only one bathroom, man. And nobody else feels like I do. Like, hey, go home. Take a shit. Everybody come to work this shit, man. It's like, damn, man. Do y'all got bathrooms at home? Stinky motherfuckers. Fuck, man. The good thing is you ain't got to live with them motherfuckers for 24 hours. It'd be like, God damn, I'm tired of seeing this goddamn motherfucker. (laughs) Shit, we be there damn near, what, 70-something hours a week, man. That shit is fucking miserable, man. Yeah. I'm cussing a lot this show. I apologize, people. I'm going to say I'm back on Valium again, which is happy and, and good for me. But it also kind of makes me say stuff. So, you know, excuse me if I use a little more vowel language than normal. All right, man, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show. We we initially our intentions were to talk about passing on um, some of the traits of being mentally ill on to children, especially with P being a father of many children or receiving uh, the traits genetically or through learned behavior, as in my case, like I mentioned, um, my family mental illness runs deep into my family but um then we we ended up kind of going all over the place talking about black uh clinicians and how i would prefer to see a black therapist um just because i feel like they could relate to me better just just on a cultural level than somebody who is not black i mean even other people of color like indian like i mentioned majority of our mental health um like doctors basically a psychiatrist psychologists are indian here or asian and it's not to say they can probably relate to the minority aspect but man i find that so it's really hard for other people other ethnicities to completely 100 percent relate to a black person man so that that was my preference and p also was talking about the woke people at his son's school the the new new wave negroes who spread uh, misinformation and how they're detrimental to our communities, which I, I do agree with, maybe not on the, the therapist side of it, but just in general, yeah, a lot of these brothers that spread this misinformation, they walk around, their knowledge is from memes basically on the internet that are also untrue. It's like, man, they're, they're really detrimental to our community. And unfortunately, I, I can't think of any ways to stop these people from spreading this misinformation or, or these walking memes that are just totally and utterly incorrect, man. You, do you see a way to stop this shit from especially from hurting our community? I see a way. Social media. People need to stop getting all of their history and information from social media without actually referring to the actual sources of the history. We can't sit here and think that. Whenever something is proven to be untrue, that's been spread virally on social media that, oh, that's what they want you to think. You know, I love history. I really love history. There ain't very many things in history that I don't know about. I can name shit off that's obscure as hell. And I'm like, that's not right. That's not true. You hear so many mistruths, but it's like, I think that's kind of the, uh, what do you, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's kind of an issue that has arisen from the black condition of having our history stolen. So we grasp for straws at any little thing that can make us feel some sort of sense of empowerment 
that's not even related to us in this country as black Americans to say this is the truth and blame everyone else for why we're not in this situation. But it's like, you know, you sitting here grasping to Egypt, grasping to Kush, grasping to, to, you know, all of these Eastern African philosophies and religions. But at at the same time, we're descended from Western Africans. A lot of them were Muslim and Catholic, you know, and I just don't understand why we're grasping for straws, trying to find something to grab onto when, let's face it, may not be popular, but our history got erased in this country during slavery. We have a very rich history in this country of black people who have overcome slavery, who did great things even while enslaved. And frankly, as black Americans, that is our culture and heritage. So let's stop making up shit. Let's start following the examples of what really was going on. Let's stop discrediting people for so-called being, quote, Uncle Tom's because they don't subscribe to this Pan-Africanism philosophy that changes every 20 minutes and start appreciating exactly what our actual accomplishments are, regardless of your religion, your faith and your political party. I just think people need to get off of social media and stop trying to find out some phony identity other than what we do know as truth. And that'll be so much more beneficial to our people than grasping for straws from races that are totally unrelated to us, but claiming everything is our own. Yo, and real quick to add to that, man, speaking of history and memes and shit, right? I'm a historian myself, so to speak. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm an internet historian. So check it. There was this site that was, I don't know if it's still active or as active, but it's called 4chan. And that's where all the trolling started. Like this mass organized trolling started on 4chan. Someone would come into these message boards and they they would conspire with others to find a celebrity or, or someone to troll, right? That was basically it. And, yo, know, they would dox people. They would... um hack people like their emails or as far as their phones to get like um photos and shit their iCloud accounts whatever but there's a lot of racist over at 4chan and then after that they kind of moved over to Reddit they had their own subreddit and in these on the 4chan message boards and in the subreddits they would make these infographics that were totally and utterly wrong And a lot of them would be about black people and then they'd post them and black people would read them and be like, oh, shit, I didn't know that and share it. And then someone else, I didn't know that and share it. And these things would spread virally. Like, I can't I can't think of uh, I think I want to say one of them was Black Friday. Yeah. Yeah. uh, yeah, Black Friday. They used to make uh, they have sales on slaves or whatever bullshit. Like Black Friday has nothing to do with race people. It has nothing to do with. um has nothing to do with slavery. Another one, picnic. Uh yeah, you know, they they called it picnic because it was you pick a nigga or some some shit like that. And it's like, no, picnic is a French word that we miss we appropriated and mispronounce. But like, yo, they would spread this shit and then black people would get on Twitter, get on Facebook, get on Instagram and reshare these things that are totally and utterly false that were made by racists. Like you remember when Botham Jean, the dude that got shot in his apartment in Dallas by the white police officer, they photoshopped. And this was like all over Reddit. They photoshopped a picture of him standing with the cop. And it it, it was a damn good Photoshop job. And then they uh, put out this whole thing saying, oh, they knew each other and they were dating or some shit like that. 
They just do shit like that for a rise. And then people started sharing that on social media. Oh, they were dating. Oh, they knew each other. No, the Amber Geiger, I think her name was the the cop in uh, Dallas who shot him, like came into his house and shot him in his living room. They did not know each other. They may have known each other as far as like, hey, I know that person lives in this building. But that picture was doctored. So you have all these racists that sit around doing this shit online just to just to get a rise out of uh, out of people, man. And yeah, it's fucking ridiculous because then you end up again with incidents like Charlottesville, where you got these people that are playing around online and that shit just kind of grows legs and turns into this big thing that no one expected. But, yo, that's just dangerous. Spreading misinformation is dangerous, man. That's one of my pet peeves, too, yo. And it's like how people say, oh, Queen Charlotte was black. Charlotte, Queen Charlotte from, you know, King George III's wife was black or, you know, uh, the first president of the United States of the Continental Congress, John Hansen, was black. No, he's no, he wasn't. They're mistaking another one. They, um, I'm sorry. John Henson was black. No, they're mistaking John Hansen, And he was a white man. I'm related to the Hensons of Maryland, D.C. area. Taraji P. Henson included. That's my family. So I'm well aware that the people who made up that bullshit fact are misinformed. All you got to do is just do simple research. But you can't do that because when you tell people that's not true, they say, yeah, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that's why I don't even bother arguing and talking to people about it anymore, because people want people believe what they want to believe. Now, opinion has now been turned. Fact has In now fact. been turned to equal footing as opinion. Yeah, man. That, just look at our look at our president, man. So. So this has been the woke nigga historian edition passing on mental illness genetically edition of a few screws loose the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please uh, rate us on Apple podcast uh, five stars, preferably leave us a review. You can also find the show on IG and on Twitter at screws loose pod as well as YouTube. And I am one of your hosts, Dan a.k.a. Dan on Drugs. You can catch me on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. And I am P. You can find me on Instagram at P from Charlotte. Until next time, people. Peace. Peace.